0: Welcome, one and all, to another episode of Left Turn Canada. Andy Burkowski, Christo Aviles here, and it's kind of a momentous show for us. This is our 50-second show, even though we have been doing this for for more than a year. I think it, it's it's kind of important. We did this, you know, at the, in the midst of COVID, in this pandemic, how, how scary it all was. You know, we were very fortunate for 52 weeks to avoid it. But unfortunately, both of our households are now experiencing COVID. Surprising all yeah. of you, you know, Christo and I don't live in one little room together. We live very far no. apart and have, have families. But Christo, yeah. you got the vid.
1: I, I did, yeah. I mean, uh, yesterday, uh, my son came home from uh, daycare and uh, wasn't feeling well. And we tested I, and, I, and I, tested, uh, I tested positive for COVID. Uh, I feel uh, fine, more mm. or less. Um, a little bit of a sore throat, a little bit tired, a uh, bit of a runny nose, sinus stuff like that. Basically it's like a moderate cold, Yeah, you know, pre COVID you, 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 probably wouldn't even stay home with it type thing, you know, to be honest. Um, but, uh, still it's like, you know, you, you did your best since <laughs> yeah. March of 2020 to avoid getting it. And, you know, after about two years and a, and a, and a, and a few weeks, you know, it got me right, and yeah. it's. Just, I think that's just Omicron, right? Like, you know, it's or whatever, whatever wave we're on now. But that, you know, it's, it's it's much more contagious than it used to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we all know, in Ontario and much of Canada and, and elsewhere, uh, restrictions are are way more lax. Yeah. Um. Uh, and so, uh, you know, you're just more likely to get it now. Yeah, well, uh, actually so fortunate that that you know I I, I was double vaxed and mm-hmm. I got my booster. Um, and I know for uh, for a lot of people, it, it, they still get quite sick. Uh, but uh, at least thus far, mm-hmm. Um and crossed, Kind of yeah. thinking back to it, I probably had it over the weekend. Mm. Like given that, like I, you know, I, I you're know, probably thinking back to it, and that you know, there's a delay of symptoms appearing. I'm more or less fine, but um, others uh, aren't so lucky. And then, of course, saying this on Twitter, <laughs> I got ratioed by anti-vaxxers. You did I don't know indeed. If anyone saw my Twitter post, but on twitter this morning i uh, i wrote the following where where is this
0: where is that goldie find it yeah the yeah, engagement yeah. though christo the yeah, engagement
1: yeah. <laughs> so well i say, well i tested positive for covid feel sick but like i would with a regular cold this is a testament to the this is what pisses people off this is a testament to the vaccine and the booster without those i would have cer- certainly almost certainly been much more ill covid isn't over stay safe everyone and uh, that's got 490 likes, <laughs> but 542 comments. Ooh. Um, All positive, basically. right?
0: All positive. Well,
1: a good chunk of them are <laughs> well, positive. You did get but, some nice
0: words. I did see that.
1: But I don't know who picked it up. But early on, I sort of noticed. I'm like, man, there's a lot of negative comments on this. So somebody, maybe somebody I follow, but that's like an anti-vaxxer, but we don't interact very much. Yeah. Maybe, you know, like, you know, who knows? Or somebody retweeted it to their followers and they an anti-vaxxer got a hold of it. But, like, yeah, if you look at the quote tweets, a lot of people being like, you know, you, if any, the vaccine made you sick, or you have no idea whether you would have been sicker with or without the vaccine, you're just spreading, you know, uh, corporate propaganda, you know, whatever. But, like, look, guys, Like, in all seriousness, the data is clear. Yeah. Like, the vaccine makes you less likely to get COVID, even, even during Omicron. And once you do get it, far less likely to be severely ill and or die from it like yeah. it's as simple as that no absolutely and that's what's happening has
0: value. that's what's happening in my house right now because <laughs> i'm i'm oh there it is uh-oh see we're far yeah. apart we're okay yeah yeah <laughs> but uh yeah so my my partner sky uh got it and it still has it and it has been really really rough so we, we think about like what would it have happened if she wasn't vaxed and boostered you know, what what could have happened if this was the reaction to Omicron right now? And I know I actually, you know, went to our, our Discord server to talk to some of our little community here about what it's like for households where not everyone has COVID. And it is almost impossible. And it really shows the 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 real lack of care. That our government still has for for this pandemic because it really does have to be in my household that uh, Sky unfortunately is kind of just locked away and I'm I'm bringing her all her meals and trying to make sure everything's clean because you know she's having a big reaction and I'm concerned I am too if I wasn't vaccinated and if we didn't have that I could only imagine what. The response would have been we might have, you know, been in the hospital. So it's like uh, dealing with this now is very weird. Uh, it was announced actually today, which is kind of ironic by Theresa Tam that we Canada is in the sixth wave. Uh, we have yeah. at least 200,000 active cases in Canada but she then explained like that is definitely a fraction of a fraction because they're just they're not reporting no they're the not getting them they're, like no like, just I not mean, happening look, we, right
1: no I mean it used to be that like things were reported and for most people you went to like the local hub public health like like the, uh, when when Demetrios was when, when he got earlier in COVID when frankly they were at least taking it somewhat seriously um he would, you know, uh, have a runny nose even. And the mm. daycare would be like, look, he's got to get a COVID test. Uh, if he's clear, he can come back, you know, 24 hours after his symptoms start to improve type thing, you know, things like that. And so you'd have to go to the public health authority and get a test, right? Yeah. Uh, and then they would give you a result and it would usually take, you know, you know, a day or two to get you the result. And like, that's how you did it. Um, and all of that was centrally tracked, mm-hmm. right? So. Yeah. I'm guessing most cases were being reported. Now you're right. It, there's just no way like schools and in, in, in some parts of the country, like they're not, they're not, they're not collecting data. Like, yeah. I mean, we told our, our, our childcare provider, we, we, we sent them an email and we were like, Hey, Dimitrios obviously uh, won't be into daycare this week. He's tested positive for COVID. Um, and I'm, I, I don't know if they're tracking statistics though. I don't know if the daycare is keeping that internally. Um, I don't know if they're sending that to the province, if the daycare is just using that, for their own kind of contract, mm-hmm. uh, you know, contact tracing to keep the you know the individual children and 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 uh, child care workers uh, safe, but no, the 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 provincial numbers are 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 not accurate right now. Yeah, and so, even with yeah. that,
0: there was an increase, uh, you know, according to this, of almost thirty two percent in the last a week from the week before. And that's yeah. of the reported numbers. So we're very much in this wave.
1: If you're just testing at home and yeah. you're like cuz if you test at home and you test positive, like you might call work, but if you work for like just some like place, they're not they're not reporting it to any central health authority. Yeah. So what's happening is you're testing positive for COVID, and if you're following the protocol, you're going to stay home for and you and back, you're I think it's 5 days basically, 5-6 yeah. days. So you're going to stay home for, you know, uh 5-6 days and then you're going to go back to work. Mm-hmm. Right and like you had COVID, and for most people, I guess especially if you're if you're triple vaxxed and uh, quadruple coming up now actually, but yeah. also you know you're just you're you're one of the people that didn't happen to get a severe case. No one's gonna know, mm-hmm. like like the system's not gonna know, right? It's designed like that
0: way now at this point, yeah. too. Like, it's no, not as if... of course it is, yeah. right?
1: Of course it is, right? Like, they, they, yeah, you pretend COVID's not real. So, yeah, people that end up hospital, they're going to test them, and they're going to see that, oh, somebody's in the hospital with COVID. Yeah. You're going to get those cases. But, you know, barring those kind of things, most cases are going to go unreported now. So, as many COVID cases as, like, you see all these people, you're seeing all your friends and family being like, I have COVID now, like... I would be surprised if my covid case uh, has been has been logged in yeah. in any sort of system.
0: Yeah, because there wouldn't be, be shocked. where would even yeah. even if you tried yeah. to do it it would be very difficult yeah. for that to <laughs> be part of these very important numbers because we use this information to mark waves and understand, you know, the the health response that is needed and I can't help but think and again, not a doctor, not at all. I can't help but think but the enforcement of ensuring we still have just a small cloth in front of our face via masks during this time might have helped a little bit. I really don't believe that that one last, you know, the <laughs> the last pitfall that all these anti-vaxxers need to get rid of of these mask mandates is is the thing that will, you know, save us. I really do believe that it would have had a big impact of making sure these numbers are less. And I know a lot of people, myself included, and so many others are still wearing their masks, but we're in this right now and we're just not prepared for it. You know, hopefully it is the situation of what Christo's dealing with. But man, it's just like travel boy,
1: travel boy, friggin,
0: uh, (laughs) You know, whatever his name is, yeah. Doctor
1: Doctor Doctor Caribbean, yeah, <laughs> uh, Doctor Moore, uh, who's you know traveling during a sixth wave. Um, he he basically said like "fuck the science" is what mm-hmm. he said. Like this is literally a doctor, like literally a medical doctor, being like "fuck the science" because yeah. yeah, I don't know if everybody saw this. We're not gonna delve into it too much, uh, but basically he gets up there yesterday to the day before, whatever. And says, yeah, we're we're in a six. He confirmed it, I think, before oh, really? Teresa Tam did, right? I think he <laughs> yeah. said, like, we're either we're approaching a six wave or we're in one, and I recommend that you wear masks indoors and you wear a good mask, which is to say wear the N ninety fives that people can't get or yeah. uh can't afford or both. Um and then um you know, do all of that. Yeah. But we're not gonna mandate masks again. Right? <laughs> so he he's admitting. Like, we're in, like, a wave or we're approaching a wave. COVID's definitely upticking. COVID's still around. It's still serious. Like He's not hiding any of that. He wasn't. Mm -hmm. But one of the things we can do that actually doesn't change a lot, because even if we're going to be, like, purely cynical and, like, look, the government doesn't want to ask businesses to shut down again or reduce capacity again, let's just take that as good faith and let's say, like, that's actually a fair decision. Right. Like, let's just say mask mandates don't hurt anything. Right. Mm -hmm. Like a restaurant having to close half its tables has a material effect. I don't know if a mask does.
0: Do you know what I mean? Like, especially now when there is such a dichotomy between the staff that have to work there for, you know, eight to 10 hours a day that are wearing masks because most of them do care about their safety, or at least there's a culture there of wearing masks, but almost all the patrons aren't like, you're just putting the workers directly at risk. Like it's just, we're reaching this time. I don't know if you're seeing it, but there really is this divide between the real working class that's serving everyone else that have to wear masks but everyone else not you know opting in or out and it's just disgusting when we're in this wave like who is it hurting to just wear a little piece of fabric across your face at this point in time when we're over two years in when you're comfortable with it. You know how it works. This isn't a different technology now. Culturally, I think we've consumed this. You know what I mean, Krista? Like, we we now understand that we have to wear masks, and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but we know what it feels like. At this point, to be really fighting it is like beyond selfish it's just hateful like i just i just don't get it is it just politicians trying to feed their base when their base is insane because i i just don't understand who is pushing this when it could really help people like we're in this wave now how many times have we said this like i'm just i don't know man i'm getting uh i'm getting a little tired of it
1: yeah look the the government just doesn't want to uh he just doesn't want to do it, right? Like, they, yeah. they, they just don't want to create this scenario where uh, they admit defeat and simple as that, right? Yeah. The, and and, and uh, having to go back and put masks on, even though that's not the biggest blow to business, even though that doesn't stop people from going shopping or going to like the Jays game or whatever, um, it, it's like an admission of defeat. Yeah. Right? Because like we've been doing it, it, it. That's
0: what we've been doing. Yeah. Like and it's funny because the the next story kind of feeds into this. So so strap in, folks, get your nihilism helmet on. Because if we didn't have the rapid tests that we do now and the the access to them, which is much better than it was before, this idea of personal responsibility dealing with COVID just wouldn't work because people would literally have no idea. If they were positive or not, if they were negative, what that means and when they couldn't go back to work. I remember very early on, you couldn't get these tests. It was incredibly difficult to find them, but it was a requirement because the policies, at least in the Ontario government, were that of personal responsibility. That you needed to make sure you were okay after five days, you got a negative test, and then... You came back to work and you had to wear masks so that everyone was safe. Well, there is a a huge story this week that came out from the Toronto Star that was examining what exactly happened to all of those rapid test kits. There, If you might recall, there was a, a... big press conference that Doug Ford had where he lauded this and said, like, this is a game changer. It's going to change the lives of Ontarians. This is when, you know, manufacturing sectors and and factories in Brampton and North York were being ravaged to the point where, like families were, were getting sick, where seven, eight people were getting this because they just didn't have options of, you know, where to isolate. And, you know, my family's feeling a bit of that now. Like we just, you don't have a place to go when this is happening. So it turned out, this investigation shows, that over the next 10 months of the 20.7 million tests, only one fifth of them were sent to hotspot neighborhoods in Ontario. Meanwhile, the government gave private schools almost 175,000 free rapid tests. And that is more than went went to paramedics, daycares, shelters, and jails combined. So a lot of people were were pushing this story out because it was important. And the, the idea of active social murder happening... At, was being you know bandied about. Yeah,
1: Matthew Green said that basically. Yeah. This is what social murder looks like, and it is.
0: It is right. Like it's
1: it's it's social murder. Dictator
0: right? shit. It really really is. This is the this like is a social s- murder. kind of
1: form of social eugen like a eugenics policy, mm-hmm. which is to say, like the overwhelmingly wealthy white, well connected populations that maybe get to go to the private schools of this province are going to get these and it wasn't just that. Like that's bad enough, but what the reporting also shows is that there were certain parts of Ontario, we've talked about this before, certain parts of Toronto, usually in the the outskirts of Toronto, uh you know the uh, you know still in Toronto proper but right on the edge of the city, which are where uh, predominantly lower income, more racialized people live and those were often COVID hotspots. They didn't get enough rapid tests. Rapid tests didn't go to the hotspots in many cases. The places where they would be needed most, where more COVID was prevalent and people were testing more positively, more frequently, and would have greater benefit of of these rapid tests, they weren't getting to them. So um, the province very clearly uh, chose to give them to private schools. Uh, Meanwhile, kind of seemingly putting forward this idea that it wasn't that big of a deal to test in public schools and all of that. Yeah, do you remember that when that was
0: going on? Like, uh, We got the numbers right here. There was one private school, and it's odd that so many of these uh, things happen kind of near places I am living or have lived. St. John's Kill Man Rock School. It's an elite private school in this beautiful campus in Waterloo that received more than 14,000 free rapid tests shortly before classrooms Mm -hmm. reopened last fall. It's the largest number of any private school that supply would have been enough that each of the students could have gotten a twice weekly test through the christmas break and if you recall during that time That is when the government, we were just about to prepare for another lockdown because the government fucked up so bad when it came to uh, the education sector and public schools that they didn't prepare them for this. But this private school and so many others had surpluses. And the article claims they, you know, they interviewed a lot of the people that made these decisions, or at least were affected by it, that it wasn't direct malice, just the realities of politics where the people that knew Ford and the Ford administration got access first. Well, that's and fucking malice. That yeah, That's, yeah, that's, what's that's to, like, fucking, that's hate. Like, that's that's social yeah, murder. That's, that
1: fucking, yeah, that's malice. It's like, yeah. Look, man, we didn't go out of our way to murder poor and Brown and black and indigenous people. In this province, we just chose to save other lives that were overwhelmingly not poor, not brown, not black, not indigenous. Yeah. In this province, but like the fact of the matter is, like, you've you 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 made those decisions very clearly. Yeah. Like those decisions were made for that reason, and um, look, that would have made some sense if like they got their tests quicker. Because mm-hmm. like well-connected people look, and this is the reality with the vaccine, for instance, um, you'll notice that uh, people that had higher incomes, higher levels of education, higher levels of, of technological literacy, higher levels of 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 English and or French language literacy were able to get signed up for vaccines quicker. Right. Because mm-hmm. they could navigate the online portals and book the appointments people who worked from home or had flexible work hours could sit by their computer and, and look for all the vaccines
0: could travel, and book an appointment. To very, yeah. Yeah, Travel Tra- to different cities yeah. so they could get it. Cause so, it like, like, yeah, you and
1: I likely benefited from class privilege and other forms of privilege about how we were able to get vaccinated relatively early when, you know, our ages came up. Yeah. Right. We were, and, and same thing. We, uh, my wife and I were some of the first people probably to get a booster mm-hmm. for instance, because, one of our friends looked it up and then sent this to us and she was like on on it and like all of that right Yeah. um and and it's all about connections but like there's no way getting that many tests is just due to who you know (laughs) they made a purposeful choice to give them more tests than they would conceivably use to let other children die simple as that simple as that doug ford didn't care if poor and black and brown and indigenous kids died, he would rather let tests get cobwebs at the private schools of this province uh, than, than save the lives of poor indigenous black brown kids. Simple as that. There's no other explanation. Again, it's not that the private schools got uh, you know uh, enough tests and they got them a couple weeks early and then the public schools waited a little bit longer and they also got enough they did enough for every student twice they did
0: enough for every student twice while the education minister was saying that we didn't need all of the we didn't need mandates for tests while that was being said there were surpluses in the richest schools in Ontario that were protecting their students and obviously they were completely wrong because then as you recall the province had to shut down because they fucked up so badly so it's just it's exactly what you're saying it's it, it, they try to hide behind this idea of ineffectual government you know that it's just you know we keep fucking up this is uh Doug Ford doesn't have a computer he just uses his phone and this is he's just an old school politician but when you actually play that out you see this is a concerted effort to kill people that don't have access and to reward those that do there's this happened in the manufacturing and just the factory setting here in Ontario as well, Linamar, which is a huge Guelph-based, I think it's an auto parts manufacturer, it's a huge job provider here in Guelph, about 9,000 jobs. They received more than 100,000 rapid tests, the second largest amount in the manufacturing sector in Ontario and wouldn't you know it the the CEO very good friends with Doug Ford said early on they'd be making ventilator parts that never really you know went into fruition Linamar has been accused of horrible practices to their workers and even though that's good that people were getting tests that is a workplace of you know a city of this size of maybe 150,000 under 10,000 jobs that are getting quick access but in Brampton where there are tens, hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands, yeah. when it go into uh, the North York region in, in the boundaries there, that were getting eviscerated by COVID, that needed... These tests to ensure that their families wouldn't get sick so that other people who are at risk wouldn't get sick in the Southeast Asian community in Brampton. You know, there's a, a lot of big family units that are living together, taking care of elderly people that were getting absolutely fucking ravaged by covid during this time in uh, 2000 to 2001, uh, 2001, <laughs> 2020 to 2021. And who got the most a Manufacturing sector here in Guelph. It's not just a mistake. It's designed this way. And I just I want to understand when we have a premier that is furthering these these notions of death and destruction, how he can still sit. And I don't know what the numbers are right now at the precipice of a possible majority here in Ontario. This is stuff that should levy charges. Like, this is not just, you know, politicians being politicians. It shows what happens when you have ultra-conservatism in control of government when there are real crises. People die in droves. They're often the people that are the poorest and don't have access. So I'm just like, I'm, this is definitely having impact and it's it's being pushed a lot, but I I don't think it's you know, unseating uh, Ford in the way that it should. So anything else on this before we move? Because I, I do want to tie this into our next little topic of, like, how other parties should respond. Anything else?
1: Uh, no, we can we can move on.
0: Oh, man. It's just, it, it, it's so deeply upsetting because, like we said, it, it led to real death in, in places that... You know, no place deserves it, been places that really did not deserve it. As you recall, as well, Ford blamed immigrants very early on, as well. So let's let's not forget that. So my thought is, with this story coming out, wouldn't it be great if we had a real, angry, just foaming at the mouth NDP leader? That was pushing the notion that Ford should be charged for this criminally and, and that he is a social murderer. You did hear Matthew Green, like you said, tweeting that up. But what if we had that firebrand? And and you know, we uh, there's a, a great writer, David Moscrop, that tweeted this out this kind of idea better than I he he put the notion of good afternoon I am begging begging the left to deploy an ideological firebrand politician who can speak in plain terms to the anger anxiety fatigue and hopelessness so many people are feeling and I know for myself and and Others, that seems like a good idea. That that seems like what we need right now. But Christo, you have an encyclopedic knowledge of the NDP and, and what's happening in Canadian politics. Uh, you had a really nice, you know, back and forth here on this. I, I'd love to explore a little more. Why do you think that maybe that isn't the best thing for this moment right now?
1: Well, it's not that I don't think it's the best moment. It's okay. that my, 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 my point was simply that. Like a lot of people and, and and maybe this wasn't even David's uh full intent, but like this idea that like we need to do this before before we get like the next iteration of Margaret Thatcher and Ronald mm-hmm. Reagan, like which is gonna be like Polyevre with Trump back in the White House, blah, 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 and like this new right wing era like that kind of emerged in the early nineteen eighties, uh, you know, in, in Canada, the USA and Britain. Um, and my argument was that like I don't know if it's gonna make as big of a difference like the reality is we should do that like the NDP does need that the, the NDP leader provincially does need to be angrier at mm-hmm. what we're seeing uh the federal leader does need to be angrier but it's not a guarantee that it'll it'll have electoral success right mm-hmm. like that's the that's the thing is that the NDP has had leaders that have struck more of that 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 tone. Uh the most left-wing NDP in a long time in many ways was the Nova Scotia NDP under Gary Burrell. And and, you know, he kind of stagnated. Like the party is roughly where he was when he started. Um, you know, uh, mm. the most successful NDPs in the country are objectively objectively. objectively the shittiest NDPs oh,
0: fucking hell right? Eh? Right? oh say that is. one more time Think for the cheap sheets C- crystal right? that is so w- like, hold on
1: look you Wh- got you got why you is got horgan <laughs> horgan and notley uh, who knows right i mean yeah. part of it is just the the, the political realities is that yeah. in those particular provinces from various historical factors the NDP has emerged as one of the two main parties. And so, you know, you kind of get your turn eventually, anyway, right? Like in BC and in Alberta now, Alberta is a bit more of a recent example because for so long it was a one party province, right? Purely conservative. But, you know, the NDP has clearly emerged as the alternative to the conservatives in Alberta, much like they are in uh, Manitoba and Saskatchewan and BC. Um, and so part of that is just the reality of being a, 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 one of the two big parties in a, in a, either in a two party system or, you know, one of the two big parties in a multi-party system where, in the rest of Canada, the NDP is, is a third party most of the time, Mm -hmm. right. In, in, in Ontario and federally in the Maritimes, what have you, they're not, they're not a, 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 a one of the two big parties, but the, I don't know. I mean, if the argument is the NDP needs a populist firebrand ready to like call things out and be super pissed and angry, um, I don't know if that's going to, because like, look, that's what we need. It's objectively what we need. But here's one thing you're not allowed to say in politics. You're not allowed to say this. The voters can be wrong. Politicians aren't allowed to say that. (laughs) Voters can be wrong. You could give the Canadian population what they need, which is like a democratic socialist or, uh, you know, a left wing vision, pissed at capital, ready to tell those fuckers to fucking fuck themselves and like all of that and you're probably not going to get the votes. Odds are Singh could sing could become that person and we, and look with with Singh and I'm sure David would recognize this and I think he alluded to this in one of his comments. Singh is a man of color like there there are, there are, there are constraints upon which yeah, certain he, populations he would angry. not be allowed Yeah, which would, would, would yeah would the or or er, he can but it would be very different it would be yeah. more fraught like there's, there's all of these things or or, yeah. or maybe we're wrong in assuming that but I don't think uh, you know there there are different ways different populations will be perceived. Yeah. in how they express anger based on race, yeah. class, gender, things of those sorts. We saw right? him
0: lauded when like the most racist people in the world would come up to him and say like you'd probably win if he didn't have a, a turban on, you know. That and he yeah, yeah. was like nice and reasonable to those individuals yeah. when, you know, any other person in that position that yeah. that wasn't of color would be lauded for screaming and yelling at these racist yeah. trolls. Like it's just it's clearly a different system for different people.
1: Yeah. So, but like I just. It, it, there's no one guarantee like look odds are what's gonna happen whether the like you know the NDP runs a left-wing campaign or runs a a a centrist campaign is you're gonna have Freelander Polyevro win the next election Oof. right like that's yeah. that's based on the realities of like first past the post now look I still think we should run a left-wing campaign because that's what I believe in uh, and I do think there's value in that because I don't necessarily think we'll do significantly worse than we're doing right now. And by running a strident left wing campaign, you change the, poly- the the discourse. So when I when I th- when I say that like simply being more left wing isn't just because everyone's like if we just do it, Canadians are instantly all going to vote NDP. And I just don't think that's the case. I do yeah. think that you could have a more energized base. I think that you could drive turnout. I think that you force the discourse leftward. I think that you challenge the fake populism of, 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 of Polyevra when you offer like a genuine working class centric populism. All of that I agree with. Uh, but I don't know if that changes the fundamental realities. Look, like there was some polling done. I don't know if they did it for the 2021 election, but they did it for the 2019 election. And the elections ended with very similar results where they found that a majority of people voting for the liberals and conservatives were voting to stop the other party, Uh right? I don't know if then those voters even care what the NDP leader thinks, like in terms of their direct electoral strategy, right? So I think that the NDP leader, like we have to try that because we haven't in a long, long time. Like the last few NDP leaders have been, you know, know, uh, respectability. Jack had an angry streak sometimes, but he wasn't known as an angry guy. Like the NDP federally hasn't tried, like, I'm going to get pissed off and mm-hmm. like be a curmudgeon type leader. Maybe Charlie Angus could be a mm, guy like that. Yeah. Maybe like maybe that's what Charlie Angus would have been like if he became NDP leader. Maybe that worked. Maybe it didn't. Who knows? Um, I could certainly see it having appeal, but I could certainly see some people being turned off by it, too. Right. Yeah. Um, The fact of the matter is. um. We need to do that, not not necessarily because of electoral strategy, but because I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah, and so you, I do you, think maybe you do long, agree yeah. that, like,
0: oh, the yeah, response 100%. to this, the response to like what the story we just said of social yes. murder and the guarantee yeah. that certain classes of oh, people yeah. die, like, like one of
1: Jack Layton's biggest mistakes ever. Like, Jack Layton was far too centrist, but one of Jack Layton's biggest mistakes ever, and the fucking ghoul media praised him for it as he died, oh, was when he said to Paul Martin, like. Your housing policies are going to kill people, God, and then man, man. Jack Layton apologized to him for that. I don't know if he did it under pressure or what have you, but he said like you know we have to separate the polit- like the politics from the man, blah blah blah, and like that was seen as a moment where Jack Layton it showed his like his his compassion to understand that political disagreement need not get that man. heated, but like maybe it maybe he was maybe Layton was wrong there, and maybe we can say. And maybe with this more than housing policy, even frankly, mm-hmm. like, like Ford's policies are killing people. Yeah. Right. Ford's policies are killing people. Ford's policies are at least in part a manifestation of social murder. Uh, and, and, and yeah, we need someone to say that, but there's no guarantee. I wonder no if Ford would get
0: there though. Like considering I, she wasn't, you know, clapping yeah. Christine Elliott on the back when she was leaving. Cause she, of course, also in this investigation, you know, she was... Uh, cited as making a lot of these choices along with Doug Ford and the rest of his country. So she absolutely has responsibility in this yeah. as well. And she was the one politician that was kind of like, all right, fuck you guys a little bit. Like clearly, no, she's not. I don't respect what she was doing, but I'm, you know, maybe she could get there, especially with the polling numbers that we see now. But I guess what you're, you're suggesting is there's no guarantee that would do anything to move any seats right
1: yeah like look my my point is like we should do like, we need to somebody who's going to be honest with the voters and to be honest with them is to be like like you know uh working class people and other marginalized people are dying right now um they're suffering right now and if you're not angry you're either a monster or you're not paying attention or a little bit of both right like that's what we need to hear so i agree with him 100 percent. i just like Sometimes people will say, like, that's what we're going to need to stop PolyEvra or, or or all of these things. And I just don't know if that's the case. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, we could conceivably do that and be worse off because, like, the the middle class, respectable, loving Canadians will be turned off by that rhetoric. I mean, I don't know. Right mm-hmm. now, we're having the first debate right now of the Ontario election cycle. and It's a bit weird. It's, it's focused on women's issues. And, of course, uh, Premier Doug Ford did not show up. Uh, but Andrea seems to be going mostly on the positive talking about how, you know, the NDP's policies will be good for women. You know, if we want to talk about feminist policy, a minimum wage increases feminist policy. Yeah. Uh, if we want to talk about feminist policy, um, uh, uh, a guaranteed $25 wage for early childhood educators, the vast majority of whom are women, although not exclusively, of course, is good feminist policy. So um, I think all of that is, is is big. So I'm not sure what the strategy is going to be. I'm not mm-hmm. sure.
0: But um, I get the sentiment, though, because when you yeah. when you're faced with this kind of bold faced evil that we we assumed these things happened. When it dealt with, you know, any of the economic opportunities that other people of privilege got, you know, there, there's I think more of an understanding of that. But when you see that these same systems of malice and hate are used to decide who lives or dies and many of those people that are part of the equation are children that are just in the wrong tax bracket like that stirs up an emotion that I think could maybe translate even to liberals that would never think to ever vote NDP but this is so horrific that maybe it will give them the kind of the uh what's it called the the permission it, because this is so horrifying and wow they got a, a leader that that's speaking to this like I I do get that the need for this sort of response morally I I do wonder like you said if it if it would have the the knock-on effect but you know with the alternative, what, where will that lead us to? Like, where will that lead the NDP party just to be, you know, the party of civility, but also saying, you know, a little bit of the truth, you know, just just a, just a tinge, yeah. so that people know we're caring. Like, we're we're in, you know, these dark times. We're in end times right now, and I just I I see what old P doing at the Conservative Party, and I, I just wonder if we have anything that could we. I don't mean we that the NDP has anything that could possibly match that because you know that's not going to be the rhetoric coming from the liberal party like i match it in terms of like you said of reinforcing working class movements and actually giving workers the things that are needed like becoming that firebrand
1: yeah you need that right you need Mm -hmm. that like the system is broken it is unfair to working people the system is rigged uh you need to challenge it i think that's what you need i i don't know if we're gonna get it Uh, I think you have to look at it and and challenge Polyevra, where say, like, look, Polyevra is right to some degree that the system is rigged against working people, but he doesn't talk about unions. He doesn't (laughs) talk about wages. He doesn't talk about um, the decoupling of of workers' compensation and productivity. And, uh, you know, Polyevra talks about... Bitcoin. He talks about Bitcoin as the reasons why that's happening.
0: Because of centralized currency. I can't believe it. (laughs)
1: Yeah, he says that, you know, we we need to just build more to solve our housing issues when in reality the profit system hasn't helped workers. There are vacancies in many places and that, you know, while certainly, well, you know, we should uh, make it plausible to build more housing, uh, do examine if there are structural barriers to building that are based on, you know, nimbyism and Mm -hmm. not, you know, actual... Uh, Concerns, uh, valid concerns. The fact of the matter is, like, they need to put forward that class analysis. You're right, 100. The the one challenge is though is that like, Polyevra can just lie. Yeah,
0: that's a good point. He can just
1: lie, right?
0: He He is. He already is. He already is. So there you go. So he could just
1: say like, I'm gonna make it cheaper for you to have housing by giving like by making it easier for developers to build housing, which could In some cases, maybe lower the price of some housing, but it's not a guarantee, right? But he's just like, I'm just going to give a bunch of money to capital, right? Like, you know, or things like that. Like, those those sorts of things are easy when the left-wing response is much more difficult because you have to basically say, like, we got to build public housing. We have to address uh, profiteering. Uh, and all of those sorts of things, yeah. which are are much more combative and probably more difficult to achieve. Um, but, yeah, yeah, we definitely need we need Singh uh, and, and the various provincial NDP leaders to come out and say very clearly that the system is rigged against working people. Mm-hmm. The system is rigged. It's been rigged for a long time. Uh, there is no equality of opportunity in Canada so long as these barriers exist, he's which is close. sort of what Poli, which is what Polievra yeah. is saying, mm-hmm. even if it's disingenuous as fuck. And this is why I think a lot of people are worried because that's effectively what he's saying. He's not actually talking about minimum wage increases. He's not talking about anything like that. He is objectively going to make life worse for most working people, mm-hmm. but. He's saying it in the right way. Yeah. Right? He's,
0: hes It's ironic because he's actually giving a lot of Canadians that would... Uh, kind of be upset at this notion but he's making you feel seen really because he's speaking oh, yeah. to your actual material circumstances just completely bullshitting about the reasons for it and how it can be saved you you talked about the fact that Singh needs to ride that line do you think he's getting close with it because I remember during COVID you know he was saying a lot of the right things about you know that the, the rising tide doesn't lift all ships and the d- different people are in different ships and you know that was one anecdote but I do feel like he is kind of pushing that a little bit more it's just anytime we get to policy there's always you know a smack of means testing and and you know yeah. even some neoliberal I mean, he's fringe done, there's there. been
1: moments of it right there's yeah. been moments of it like for instance i remember during what like either the last election or the one before he went to like the canada the canadian club and basically told a bunch of rich people in the room that they should pay more taxes those sorts of things are really good to see um you know i i definitely think that he needs to get out there and hammer that message, which is that, you know, uh, housing isn't accessible. Um, you know, young people have a lack of opportunity, but he has to nail it very clearly on wealth inequality, on, uh, a lack of, uh, of, of strong unions, uh, poor labor laws and things like that. Like he has to come out <clears throat> and basically say, and this is what I would say, and maybe he needs to call these names out directly, um... You know, on the one hand, you have a liberal government who understands the problems but refuses to do anything about them, hmm. right? You know, they know what the solutions are and they refuse to implement the majority of them. And then on the other hand, you have someone like Pierre Polievre who correctly says that, you know, working-class Canadians are suffering and that there's a lack of opportunity, but whose only solution are to empower the people that for the last 40 years <laughs> have crushed the working class under their boot. So yeah. the the solution is... We need a democratic socialist vision. We need to challenge you know, the idea that housing is purely an investment vehicle. We need to uh, ensure that workers have better wages. We need to fight to make unions much more prevalent in this country. Uh, we need to tax the rich and the wealthy and well-connected, not just on income, but on wealth, on property, on inheritance, on all of those sorts of things. If we want to deal with these issues, we need to realize that the rich have benefited from a rigged game and we can't start a new game with rigged rules type thing. So we need to like we yeah. need to challenge them because, again, Polyevra can say, oh, we've got to build more and stuff and, and all of that. But like, has he criticized the landlord? <laughs> He, has he criticized the landlord? No, he fucking yeah, hasn't. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Not. He hasn't criticized. Landlords. I got to
0: say the, the direction you're going there, it does feel like and of course, you know, we're not the people that, that need to be convinced by this sort of rhetoric. But there does seem to be a little bit of gravitas to these sort of ideas. You know, we the think of what we've gone through in the last two years. We, it's never been more clear, I think, for Canadians that the system is rigged. Doesn't I, I think even the people who would never imagine that benefit from this system in ways that others can't begin to think that are at the front of the line for everything that has to do with health and safety. It has been so broken and fucked up that the the veneer is off and we can see this for what it really is. You know, basically a corporation that helps a few people and everyone else is grist for the mill. So this idea that you were espousing there. I, I think could find purchase because we've just we've seen this. But I, I if we don't if we have anything less than that, then I, I will say that, you know, in these dying times, it, it it could be considered a step in the wrong direction. Like I after this story today and maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but the, the lengths that Doug Ford and, and people of his persuasion this crony capitalism bullshit are willing to go to ensure that power is centralized among a few of the worst people that you could ever imagine in your province and in each province in this country and you know federally is just so sickening that it, we you know half measures are kind of no longer good enough practically it isn't like we know what's happening with our environment we know what's happening with our economy I half measures no longer do it. So if if the path for NDP, not even victory, but just becoming a bigger piece of the conversation is something like that, you know, what do they, what do they have to lose, Christo? Because it seems like they may have hit a ceiling, I mean, you talked about this last week. They may have hit a ceiling with the very smart, very cool, knows everything. Everyone likes him leadership that has policies that almost everyone likes like that. That positivity seems to only get this far and maybe, you know, a little bit further with the way our system works. Like, you know, I, I if he doesn't have that, where can Sing go? I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, it's a it's a it's a good question.
0: It, does, know. it it doesn't seem like we we lit like all it out. you've done all the, the numbers post. you've done yeah. it christo <laughs> yeah
1: like p- part of it is the problems with first past the post um part of it could have been that the ndp needed to do more on policy in the last election that the policy book came out too late uh that it was too much focused on personality um you know i'm not sure but you're right if if the policies are popular um and the leader is popular, and the party is at least reasonably popular, you know, it's it's one of those things where, to some degree, this will be an issue no matter what, is that does the, the structural realities of first-past-the-post mean people are unlikely to vote for you? So maybe, you know, the, again, the argument could be, if you want to meaningfully be... A, 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 a changer of the discourse, one of the ways you do it is by running more stridently to the left. Yeah. Um, which forces the rest of the system, at least hypothetically, to adjust to you. Um, you know, the Liberal Party to 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 appear as progressive has to maybe shift a little bit more to the left than they would normally when the NDP runs in a more center-left position, right? Mm, yeah. The NDP is talking about even more strident approaches to socialism in ways that are popular. With you know the, uh, a majority or at least a plurality of Canadians, then the Liberals would have to uh, give that more credence. When the NDP yeah. is more moderate, uh, the Liberals don't have to be as strident to appear like they are in conversation with the uh, the kind of NDP-Liberal swing voter, which is a big part of the population. Again, in most of the polls we've seen, more Canadians would vote for the NDP than vote for the Conservatives. The Conservatives get many more votes than the NDP does but it's because the vast majority of the people that would consider voting for them already do. Yeah. Uh, whereas the liberals and the NDP and the Greens and, and, and such, they share a very big voter pool. And so in many of these polls, about as many people would consider voting NDP as would vote liberal, but many of them vote liberal because the liberals are the ones that can be perceived man, as, as winning. I do wonder or, about that, man. Or, I... or, or, or could be perceived as you know, being competent, you know, they've already governed. So yeah.
0: I do wonder about that. Like, do you think that maybe there's not an unsizable portion of people that answer that question that way that just want to be seen like they would when really they're just like die in the wool, neoliberal like ghouls and some like I, I do wonder because that's almost like a feature of a liberal voter is the idea that, you know, we're they're the most pragmatic. And of course they would consider anything conservative. There's
1: a difference between like partisan liberals and partisan NDPers and like the voting base. That's true. Yeah. Of each of those parties, um, uh, the fact of the matter is, um, if you pull on like the issues, there's often not a huge difference between liberals and NDPers, mm, yeah, and even yeah. Greens. We talk we throw about them that all. The, we talk issues. about yeah. that all the time. So, I mean, look, it could be that every liberal that are answering those polls are lying. It could be, but I doubt it, right? Like, I doubt mm-hmm. like uh, you're a regular liberal voter from you know uh halifax and you're get you get uh, you know an abacus pulls you on some issues that you like um yeah, they pull you on on policies you have no reason to lie in that poll right like you yeah. have no reason yeah. to lie you know and so an, an ndp are taking the same questions that lives in hamilton uh answers almost identically to you right and so um i think the the the, the reality is that uh the the voting bases are not that different and that explains why most non-partisan people like people who you know aren't on twitter talking politics all the time and you know are members of parties and go to riding association meetings and go to conventions and that's a very small portion of canadians right yeah. um beyond those people that's why so many of them are, are are at least hypothetically willing to say i would vote ndp or i would vote liberal and basically that's going to come down to electoral strategy um you know maybe you like a a certain policy more maybe you like your local guy or gal or you like the leader a little bit more or less or what have you yeah Yeah, that's yeah that's that's the way it is yeah the average liberal voter ain't ain't that different from the average NDP voter they're not there there are are some differences sometimes um on pretty much every issue you'll see the NDP slightly to the left of the average liberal voter but but they're, they're 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 it's usually within the margin of error yeah
0: There you go. And let's talk a little bit with, we've got a bit of time left here, of the results of that more strident moving to the middle, uh, perhaps strategy that the federal NDP had employed by getting into that deal, that agreement with the uh liberal government the ndp and and the liberal government that they would ensure that the government stays in power if certain things were given and guaranteed we got to see a budget that came out just before our our show came out last week so it's a little old now but it looks like and you're going to have to tell me if I'm I'm missing it but it looks like in this 2022 budget the dental requirements or hopes that were part of this agreement are going through and will help people we talked about it before you know this is a modest plan it's definitely could be amped up but this will definitely help people you know am i reading it correctly does it seem like it's it's moving in the right direction
1: yeah i mean yeah you know like the, the, with the budget and all of that it's 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 good yeah. in some ways right like like we got the dental care plan in there it is what was agreed upon that's good you, people you
0: were, we kind of knew it would happen cuz they laid it out word for yeah, word right yeah exactly right
1: <laughs> dental people were like where's pharma And this and and this is not to say like oh we should just accept it but like you know the deal was under the like the liberal ndp deal it was very clearly um it was very clearly laid out uh that it was going to be um 2023 where like the the, the legislation would be passed so it mm-hmm. makes sense that the focus is 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 on that is on that period in particular. I think some of the criticism goes to the fact that there seems to be, um, you know, not a, a, a big uh, increase in social spending, that there's uh, this whole vaunted fact that the government revenues were higher than expected because of of of, of inflation and because of rising resource costs and things like that uh, revenues. Uh, all, all of that has, has led to more money coming in than, than originally inspected, uh, expected. So I definitely think that the left consensus is that in some ways, this budget is among the best we've seen in a long, long time. Um, but it, it's, it's it's not good enough, and it doesn't meet the challenges uh, that Canadians are facing, specifically around things like climate. Yeah, There's not nearly enough money here for climate. There's way too much money for the military. We don't need that. Yeah, uh, the Jesus, housing, eh? the housing policies in this um, are 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 totally count. Are, are some cases they're totally insufficient. Like a two-year foreign housing buy ban, like buy ban. Uh, I don't think that'll have a, a a major effect. Likely, people who want to really buy in Canada will just wait the two years and then just buy in, mm-hmm. and you'll just see a surge in two years. And like this new, I think they have like a new kind of like saving, like a new kind of like tax free savings. Yeah, account. Th-
0: they upped but it s- to forty thousand instead yeah, of speci- I think it was like twenty five. Yeah.
1: But there's like a specifically for there's a new one though. Specifically oh, a new one oh. for um first time home buyers. But a lot of people have said that these policies don't really. Help anybody but people who could already afford housing. You gotta
0: have forty grand to do this. Yeah. like it, it's so, it's so like, wild. It's literally because I remember we used it for our. It was a little less than that. They had the uh, first-time homebuyers uh, uh, tax-free savings account. We used it for our, when we bought our first home, and it was just so that we could maybe help on our taxes for the next you know year and a half. But it definitely didn't help us in any sort of meaningful way. No. buy a home like it just Look, it didn't
1: <laughs> no so it's going to help two kind it, it, there'll be a very small percentage of people who are right on the border of like can we have a home or not and maybe for that very small portion of people it'll help them get a house like type yeah. thing like that right like like we're talking about like very small portions but for most people they are either going to be like we just can't afford one cuz houses are too expensive Uh, And that's going to be the vast majority of young people, Mm -hmm. or they're going to be people that uh, are very well off, or more usually, mommy and daddy are going to buy them a house anyway. (laughs) So, you've just created some mechanism that helps those people, right? So, all you're doing is creating mechanisms that help people that already have the means. You're helping the family trust, right? You're just helping the family
0: trust on tax season,
1: yeah, and so. The the, the the fact of the matter is like none of these policies are going to are going to help home like uh home buyers you, you a small uh, increase of a home buyer's tax credit it's only going to help people who were already able to afford the house, mm-hmm. like you know what I mean? And that's and it's not such, necessarily it's such a problem too, yeah. eh,
0: Crystal. Like yeah. if we, our economy is based on the idea that we have to buy homes because it's such a, a a bulwark of how we build our economy here in North America. The next generation has to buy homes, and when so many young people just simply can't, especially in this market where I think uh, there was a recent uh, survey that came out that said the average home in Ontario is $800,000 and the average person is making like 10 times less than that. So it's just it's not going to work, but it's so needed. If you believe in this, even if you believe in this capitalist system that this is how the system needs to work, why wouldn't you actually do something that gets more people in homes? Like I just I don't understand if you really believe in these things, which I think is probably a mistake. Why not make it so people can get into these homes so your economy doesn't collapse, you know, every 12 to eight years? I don't know.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> Cause they don't want, they don't want house prices to collapse Yeah, uh, as much, and a party can't be seen as causing it. Um, look, because homeowners, um, are, are, are a powerful block in this country. They are, uh, wealthy. Uh, they are, uh, composite in all political parties mm-hmm. and like like I, I I, don't think Canadian even people who understand that the system is sort of unfair either they get it in a kind of intellectual sense or they see how it's affecting their children I still don't know if like any sort of policy that would like make housing more equitable which would probably require you know p- current homeowners to have an equity decline on their house I don't know if anyone's going to vote for that right and yeah. so you end up—you end up that in a scenario like a little
0: bit, yeah, Jesus. where
1: no policy really can be used to fundamentally lower the cost of a certain bill, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or to lower the cost of housing,
0: you know. Man, even though it's so required based on the system that you are putting your stock into, if you're saying this is what we need to keep going on, it is required that people get into homes or. No, I, I believe it's requ- like I'm, I'm trying to understand exactly the, the shell game that, you know, the Canadian economy is based off of. But I don't think it's going to keep lasting the next five years if, you know, we have one person that owns 300,000 homes and needs to talk about it on CNN. You remember that? <laughs> like it just yeah. it's it just it's not going to work. But we're, we're tied. Our hands are tied again. It's basically the whole premise of the show today is that the system is so broken That it cannot even do the the evil things that are bad as effectively so it leads to even more evil things like it's just it's so busted and uh, yeah beyond the the good things that you talked about in this budget you know do you you think that this is like a um, that they broke any of the promises that were put forth in this agreement so far between the NDP and the liberals
1: no I don't think there's any broken part of this about about this deal no Okay. No, I, again, the the one kind of stark commitment really does seem to be um, uh, that the dental care one. Now, of course, a lot of the things are vague in the deal uh, and a lot of the things could still be broken. Uh, one factor as well is that, like, even if they keep the deal uh, locked in, um, you know, uh, a lot of the things are still not going to get don't get us where we need to go like climate's a big one right mm. so uh there's yeah there's nothing in this in, in in this budget that breaks the terms of the deal but again the general consensus if you read the canadian center for policy alternatives or you read broadband institute or you read other uh comments that there 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 could have been so much more done on this specifically around uh poverty uh, around disability around climate That just wasn't done in this in this bill, Um, Mm -hmm. excuse me, in this budget. And um, it's 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 not that expansive of a budget. Um, And maybe that's a that's a sign that uh, the NDP should continue to put pressure, not just on the terms of the agreement, but on 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 broader discussions about getting a more progressive budget. Because this because this wasn't this wasn't as far as it could have gone, even though in some ways, like with dental care. Uh, it it does have a chance to make some history.
0: There we go. All righty, folks. I think that's if Actually, do you want to talk about Kenny meeting up with a ghoul from south of the border even for a It's It's pretty wild, isn't it? This is definitely your wheelhouse here. Christo talking about American politics, but who is Jason Kenney taking around Alberta and, and talking about the need to get off of dictator oil. And we need that good, delicious Alberta crude. Who's he moving well, he's around? Hanging
1: out with our good pal, Joe Manchin, one of the worst <laughs> Democrats. It really is kind of, kind of shows that, you know, Kenny really would align with, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Joe Manchin really what they're doing. And you're seeing this from, America and Canada that that they're trying to use this this moment in Russia and the U- and Ukraine to kind of say that you know uh, we need to uh, you know rely on North American uh, oil uh, and natural gas other forms of fossil fuels uh, because uh, if we don't then we're going to be uh, reliant on Russia we're going to be uh, reliant on uh, all these other evil countries quote unquote um, and it's just a a very shameless attempt. You take a, you know, uh, what is a, you know, war crime in progress, which is what Russia is doing and try to seize on it to profit by uh, attacking uh, or, or trying to promote the ethical oil. It's basically mm-hmm. the ethical oil thing. And kill the planet too. Like, don't forget
0: that. And make sure that, you know, our planet's even more destroyed right now. Like, they're just any bad thing that happens, it's amazing how the worst people in your country will use it as an opportunity to do something bad as well. Like, we we just never seem to rise to the occasion to, uh, you know, change the system a little bit but that's that's nice to know that the matrix isn't glitching out and everything's the way it should be so christo i hope you feel better i hope our next show that you're you're all healthy and uh, yeah be careful out there folks because you know it's it's going around and who knows how it'll hit you uh stay safe and we'll talk to you next week